Hi everyone, I am Nicole. Hello, I am Earl. We're the Poisers, and this is the Mix-Up, episode 9. Oh yeah, April 11th, <laughs> 2021. Welcome. Uh, yeah. We've been on a little bit of a hiatus. Yeah, it's uh, been a little busy. <laughs> for people who have been listening to us, um, sorry for the wait. Yes. Um, yeah, but we're here, we're back. We are, yeah. It's been a little nutso around here lately, um, just with work and a child and pandemic life still going on. Um, there's just been a lot, so here we are. Um, we have a big episode. Um, th- this is what we were going to talk about if we had recorded last week, so it's going to be two weeks worth of information um, on the Derek Chauvin trial. But um, before we get started with that, a lot has happened <laughs> in two weeks, and um, we had an episode a few weeks ago about the voter suppression laws in Georgia, and big news that came out of that is that Major League Baseball moved the All-Star game out of Atlanta and to, they've now since announced Colorado will be hosting, but they moved it out of Atlanta, and there's been a lot of back and forth about was that the right decision, um, you know, should they have kept it but tried to do some other things to bring attention to what's going on. Um, so there's a lot, there's been a lot of kind of back and forth about that. And, and <laughs> people trying to compare Colorado voting laws with Georgia voting laws, and it's not even close, but, um, (laughs) yeah. Well, that's to be expected. Yes. It's going to be the same old Republican talking points when they don't really have anything to defend themselves for the actions that they take or the actions that they support um, unequivocally. Mm -hmm. So what happens is they're put in a corner by their own making, and they have to throw out all these darts that basically are missing target. Yep. And has absolutely nothing with what people are up in arms about. Um, so what they do is throw out divergent viewpoints and just anything that can <clears throat> anything that can deflect from the matter at hand. And so, you know, it's just comparing apples to watermelons, <laughs> not even oranges. Um, and so I'm not really surprised. I'm not really shocked by what they're doing. They've been doing this. This is their playbook. Um, and so there's this cognitive dissonance about what they're doing. Um, they always want to f- find a solution, find a problem for the quote-unquote solutions that they're, they're, they're uh, doling out. There's no, there has been any, hasn't been any, evidence of any voter fraud or anything to that nature to bring about the necessities of the bill that they have in place right now and we can't forget that also what they're trying to propagate and proliferate throughout the United States and other uh, Republican held uh, states so we can't keep an eye off the, the ball on that as well because it's not just George, but it's other places that they're trying to uh, have some sort of some iteration of what they had in Georgia. So um, the thing that I'd say out of all of this, the thing that surprised me the most was the seemingly fast decision by MLB to actually move the game. You know, MLB is not generally progressive. In, in things um, this is and this has prompted discussion right because this isn't the first time a league has moved a game or spoken out about laws or things that are seen as injustice right um, the NBA moved a game out of uh, Charlotte when there was the bathroom law bathroom bill that was being passed at that time it was like two maybe two three years ago 
I think. Um, you know, th- th- this isn't the first time, but I guess as someone who watches baseball, um, you know, I- I'm just surprised that that they did it so swiftly. So I, I will say kudos on that decision. Um, whatever the reasons are, if it's sponsor led, if it's player led, to me, that doesn't really matter. I think pressure is pressure. And however, you're going to apply that pressure, you know, to get an outcome. I, I don't necessarily disagree if it's sponsor related, right? Um, but, but it is, it was surprising to see that happen when it did many movements throughout american history is through pressure nobody really does anything um by virtue of their own no feelings in their heart it just could have been worse if they the longer that they waited it it would have been it it would have been a worse um, yeah i mean i guess kudos for that um you know there was nothing stopping them from doing that so they right. made, I guess they saw where the tide's returning. And the fact of the matter is, I guess, being where we are in this country right now, um, especially in, in, in regards to race relations and everything surrounding race, yep. um, they probably thought to themselves, maybe uh, financially it's best that they, or even in the public opinion, where people are going, where they're headed, and how they're thinking, they was like, you know what? I think we're gonna play our cards <laughs> in this one and um, and take our chances in Colorado. Um, and I think right. that's what they were, they were, they were thinking. Because um, ultimately, the the people who are viewing are really their shareholders. They mm-hmm. are their shareholders. Um, those who are watchers and spectators and fans of, of yes. baseball and Major I baseball. and I would like to point out as well because everyone wanted to invoke Hank Aaron into this discussion um, and and when I say wanted to invoke Hank Aaron it came a lot from from the right I'm trying to say well you you're not gonna showcase him now and 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 you're not gonna honor him in the same way because the game's not being held in Atlanta, but not recognizing the historical context of the fact that initially he had reservations about playing in Atlanta due to Jim Crow. So I think it's important for people to to yeah, know that fact. Yeah, will conveniently gloss over. Yes. I don't want to face that fact. Yes. Um, yeah. There's, yeah. there's many people, of course, especially in that party, which don't even want to face the fact that institutional racism is actually a thing and not just the boogeyman but it actually exists or a buzzword or yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know that's that's that and you know I will also acknowledge that it, it does you know to an extent I guess you know take some opportunities or some jobs I guess yes. away from people who, who are in Atlanta yes um, but the fact of the matter is he's you know especially brian kemp he's trying to say that it's going to have like such a disproportionate effect on mm. people of color and minorities mm-hmm. and things like that but i think that's a, a super super exaggeration that's hy- hyperbolic at best because if if i'm not mistaken the stadium itself is not in a minority or Predominantly black or minority neighborhood. It's what neighborhood is that? In? Uh, it's in Cobb County, Cobb which County, is just which outside. Is, yeah, which is mostly white. Yes. Um, like there, there were folks who pointed out that as well in in the statement that the Braves made and and just you know the yeah. use of the tomahawk and the the yeah, letterhead so they, and they, the yeah they don't, they don't care about black people they never cared about all of a sudden see the thing is what gets on my nerves is that they choose to use black people as a as a shield or a cudgel or black leaders or whatever when they feel like it could benefit their argument like oh look what it's gonna do to the black people it's gonna hurt them so much why are you doing this why are you putting in laws that would indirectly, indirectly affect people of color and black people? 
so why all of a sudden are you now you're you're concerned about black people in one extent but in the other extent when it comes to uh democracy and all that which we all uphold dear to our hearts you all of a sudden want to say no that is not happening don't believe what your eyes see or whatever and mm-hmm. it's just totally disingenuous and that's what really just riles me up and i just i can't i can't take that it's just disgusting yes but. i agree yeah but Dang. yeah so we have that um everyone's good friend matt gates is embroiled in some stuff right now um as another thing that's been going on so the ethics committee is now looking into him i believe i saw last i saw yeah. and one House of his of quote associates i think is uh singing to the feds so yeah, that should be interesting yeah mm-hmm yeah, yeah. but um, you know he's being canceled according to him and and it's the deep state and <laughs> yeah but the investigation started under bars so i guess bars part of the deep state, deep state as well um right you know i mean it's it's to be i don't even like taking away like these are these this is the trump play card he's just he's just basically a trump right so i mean i'm not gonna it's me now it'll be you next type of argument yeah because this is what they do i just kind of roll my eyes and i keep it moving because i already know what they're gonna say like i basically can write a script (laughs) of what they're gonna say yes it's just it's just so predictable Yep. Um, and just sad, pretty much, because mm. it's just, you know, they're making it seem like this This is what I was talking about uh, before was the weaponization of victimhood, <laughs> is that they're not the real victims. They don't have any, they, they're not marginalized. They're not disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. There's nobody out attacking them. Um, they've been living cozy and they've been living good and lush. And all of a sudden, when they face consequences and have to uh, get a reaction for things that they have done in the past all of a sudden there's bad people out to get them as if right. they're good as if <laughs> there's not a they're reason model citizens. <laughs> for why you are getting you know getting uh, consequences or, or, or getting come after by, yeah. by the government you know what I'm saying and it just it just doesn't make sense on its face it's... but at the same time like nothing that they do or say no. makes sense so I'm not really surprised it is it is what it is um we'll see how it plays out we'll see what comes of it yeah so you know there's receipts there's venmo transactions there's stuff so um, so um, yeah just let them talk whatever yes yes absolutely um so like i said at the start we last week we were gonna record and we wanted to talk about the chauvin trial um because it was that was the first week of it but um We've completed two weeks in what they expect to be a four-week trial. I don't know how um, accurate that is, if it will, if it's held to four weeks or what. But um, two weeks of testimony. It has not been easy testimony to watch or to read about. Um, it, it has been very difficult. The, the first week, I had it on on occasion during the day. There were times I had to shut it off because it was emotionally, I was like, I can't, I I can't watch this right now. Um, Admittedly, I didn't watch much this past week, but work has kind of prevented me from doing that. So maybe, maybe that was a good thing um, because there was a lot more technical, medical stuff this week and more videos that are obviously very uncomfortable to watch. Um, So the first week really sort of focused on eyewitnesses, um, people who worked within Cup Foods, where everything kind of started, Um, those who recorded what happened outside and the interactions, and some other eyewitnesses that were there, as well as the, I believe, the, the paramedics who responded to the scene. Um, trying to think who else was that first week. That was, that was probably most of it. Um, and then the second week, 
this past week was were um, experts in various medical fields. Um, And also, I believe the doctor in the emergency room who was there when George Floyd was brought in initially. Um, So for me, that first week, the eyewitness testimony, if you haven't watched it or read about it, I mean, everybody should be paying attention to this. But, you know, and I said this to you, if anyone wants to understand trauma and what the black community you know what that means to the black community in in terms of consistent police interactions negative interactions seeing things like bad traffic stops um you know brianna taylor's murder um philando castile's murder uh, you know tamir rice we, we can name all the names but that consistently over time right the buildup of those traumas is is kind of what we're seeing in in that eyewitness testimony right because oh. there was a, a 61 year old man who had been talking trying to talk to george floyd while it was going on telling him calm down you're not going to win this battle don't fight thinking he was helping George Floyd but in the end right felt this guilt because he just couldn't do anything at all to help even when George Floyd was being compliant in the end right. and not resisting at all right know, that's, yeah that was telling you know the the guilt being felt by the the 19 year old clerk at Cup Foods who first realized that the bill could the $20 bill could potentially be fake I, I think we need to remind people that this whole thing started because of thinking that the $20 bill that he was paying with was fake so let us just say that he is dead because of a potential counterfeit $20 bill, which I believe in the end turned out to not be counterfeit. Shit, that makes me think too, because I mean, I I had an incident one time where I actually gave a, what I was told was a counterfeit bill um, while I was paying for my groceries uh, in this neighborhood. And I had no idea that it was fake. And I had recently withdrew money from the ATM and, you know, you go through your money, whatever, you not thinking that one of these bills can be fake. Mm-hmm. I use that same bill to pay for my food and uh, go to this store all the time and frequent customer. And then next thing I know, I was told that it was a fake bill. And I was as shocked as anyone to find that out. Uh, and I actually had to, you know, try to go through the whole process going to my bank and telling them it was fake and I got a fake bill from whatever but still the the, the the larger point is if I was in another neighborhood you know it, it, it could have turned out like George Floyd who knows maybe some clerk that didn't know me or didn't feel comfortable in my presence would have felt compelled to call the cops or what have you and say that this person was trying to get by with a fake bill which of course would not have been the case but in their eyes uh you know i may have been some kind of deceitful uh, nefarious person trying to get by and um you know lord knows he found himself in that situation Mm -hmm. he probably never even thought twice about it and that's why he was as surprised as anyone that he found himself in that situation under someone's knee for over nine minutes Mm -hmm. and uh you know just so desperate yeah enough to call out for his his dead mother um you know and it just it it, kind of was a flashpoint for me i was just like damn like you just never know what 
life has in store for you. Like there's certain things in your life that you were lucky to get out of, but someone else is not lucky to get out of, but still there are the same variables. It's just different situations. And, you know, that's why I never judge anyone. I never uh, look from the outside and say, well, why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you do that? Or if only he would have done this, if only you'd done that. Yeah, it's easy for you to say because you're not in that situation and you don't have those same life experiences as someone or as those group of people. And especially black people who historically have been treated much differently when it comes to the law um, and authority. So... Mm -hmm it's just you know when i saw that i was like damn like what if you know mm -hmm. in a parallel universe or in another time or if i was another age or in another neighborhood or whatever like who's to say that that couldn't be me so yeah you know so it's yeah i mean just just the other the other day when we saw the uh the footage of the uh, lieutenant in the car or whatever who got pulled over by cops yeah. in Virginia mm -hmm. he got pepper sprayed because he wasn't quote unquote complying and yeah. he didn't Cause he wasn't come out his Houdini. car fast enough yeah he wasn't Houdini keeping and he his hands wasn't able to keep his hands out and, and also unbuckle his disengage himself from the, the seatbelt yeah. at the same time mm -hmm. and um they didn't and move. then still being screamed at after he's pepper sprayed to and get whole, out of the car the when he time, can't actually see anything. And the whole time yeah, he's being respectful yeah. to the cops. Yeah. Like, it's just amazing how we as citizens have to be professionals to the professionals. I just find that just quite baffling. Like, we have to show them how it is to de-escalate a situation while at that same time they're escalating the situation to rile themselves up and also possibly to rile you up to give them excuse an excuse for them to beat you over the head to brutalize you to kill you and say well i felt threatened for my life there was nothing i could do what else could i do and the whole thing is on camera like we always talk about training 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 but it's like how much of that yeah. is is it the training because Case after case after case, we can't keep saying it's a training. It's a That's deeper problem. Where the implicit, the There's bias implicit bias. Yes. There is no getting around it. Mm -hmm. I have my biases. You have your biases. Everybody has biases. It's just part of being human. But it's how we deal with them. It's what we do with it. It's how we channel it. Is if we recognize that we have those biases, right? And we curtail it, or we we, we say to ourselves, okay, let me step back. Um, we have to start from a foundation of seeing this person as human. Yes. Once we do that, I think we have a better chance of of engaging or interacting with people without having to feel like you need to subdue them or you need to be the big boss and be the big man and show how, you know, pound your chest and show how much authority you have and Cause that's how they came into this guy. Like, get out the car. I said, get out. Uh, you need to obey me. This is this whole thing of obeying, obeying. And that's, that's the dehumanization part because you don't, you talk to a dog that way. You need to obey me. Do what I say. And it's, it's not just about whether or not we get out there alive. Like there's so many cases I'm sure where black people and people of color who have engaged with cops, they leave alive, but there's a part of them that gets left behind and that's dignity and that's a sense of worth and humanity. They never leave the same. And so it's not just about leaving alive and well, at least you got your life and you're breathing. So what are you complaining about? That's not what it's about. You know, you don't ever tell that to a, a rape victim. At least you're alive because they still have to live with that trauma for the rest of their life. You don't never tell a child they got beat Right. growing up and now they happen to hit adulthood but they have to live with that trauma they have to live with the fact that there's certain triggering things now throughout life that they see or hear that's going to conjure up those visions and those thoughts and those memories well, and, and know. it brings me back to Christopher Martin who was the store clerk 
because he had started filming at the end of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and he testified that he, that same night after he watched it, he deleted the video. Right. And they asked, well, if you thought it would be significant, why did you delete the video? And his answer was, because I didn't want any trouble. Mm. And that really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Because I think that also goes to the heart of a lot of this stuff. You know, you and I talked about the young woman whose video is what we have all seen over and over again. Yes. And she is 18, 17, well, 18, 18 now. now. Um, and she was there with her like nine-year-old cousin, I think, yeah. or something, right? Very young um, child. And that if she didn't stand there and film something that clearly she has to live with for the rest of her life, and her cousin, for that matter, for the rest of their lives, we probably wouldn't actually be in this moment well, with this child. Uh, that's, yeah, and that's so, you know... I mean, shoot, shoot, look at uh, Brianna Taylor. Well, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, but at the same time, it's the cost, the traumatic cost of that, right? Because this is something like she had to, t- she had to first witness it, have that video, have it be aired to the world repeatedly, nonstop. And then have to come in and testify about it and about that experience to relive that again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are not going to forget this trial, no matter the outcome, right? Mm -hmm. People are not going to forget it. People have not forgotten who George Floyd is, um, who Derek Chauvin is. And we're going to have trials of the other three officers coming up after this. So, you know... That trauma, I always think about that because, you know, this is something that we already don't handle very well as a nation, treating trauma and dealing with trauma and helping people with their traumas. And for her, right, as you said when we were talking about it, thinking about her father or if she has a brother or uncles or whatever it is, that that. George Floyd is a representation of that. And knowing that the only thing she could do in that moment is to videotape it. Because you can't get involved because it's four cops and you're not going to jump in anywhere because, right? So I, I just, I don't know. Like, I don't know how I don't think I would be able to handle that like that emotional trauma would be really difficult yeah I mean it's uh, something that uh, has been I mean if you want to take that trauma and multiply a thousand fold you know it's basically a representational symbolic um, placeholder I guess for what black people typically especially people who have grown up or uh, been raised or have had descendants in this country have had to deal with because of things that they have seen and things that they have heard. Um, And the fact of the matter is that they didn't even feel like they could express or relay certain stories because they had to preserve their lives they felt like it was a life or death type of thing Uh, if we even take it back to Tulsa, Oklahoma Mm. when that um, nasty history occurred that incident occurred so many people of that city Black Wall Street they said to themselves you know they would run out of town and move to other parts of the United States and they would their their children or their grandchildren never knew about Tulsa, Oklahoma what happened there the bombing of Tulsa, Oklahoma and the, the massacre um, that fateful day in uh, 1921 because they felt like 
if they said anything that somehow these people who are responsible for it will come and hunt them down and finish a job and and kill them and you know and hurt them and, and what, what have you and so they didn't like you said want any trouble and so it basically encapsulates what I believe black people who have been through race massacres who have been through sharecropping been through slavery been through Jim Crow have been through so many uh, iterations of oppression suppression and brutalization have had to hold on to in order hold on to hold close to their to, to their chest or hold close to their heart and not really reveal it because they felt it was a life and death decision and so you know, they felt totally helpless in light of all that was going on around them and felt like the tentacles of uh, racism and, and what have you would somehow come and grab them up and, you know, they would perish beneath that. So they basically was like, you know what, the best way to handle that is to keep silent. So I think, you know, from generation to generation, there's kind of a after a while you know it kind of manifests itself into thoughts of i don't need therapy that's for the week we just move on we don't need to deal with that we'll be fine and you know a lot of that is all connected you know there's uh it's just amazing if you just look back at it like why everything is the way it is like nothing new under the sun and so we just need to take like a deep dive or kind of like just pull ourselves back from it and then we'll have a better understanding why things are the way they are you know nothing of course happens in a vacuum and so right. you know you know with that the little girl yes. and and the and, yeah. the and the uh the clerk they yeah. they are a representation of that yeah. and i and i see that in them mm-hmm. you know that they just rather just they don't want any trouble just, right you know. yeah and you know i think so so there was that which was very emotionally charged testimony there was a lot there um, and then this past week, right, we had the medical experts and also, I forgot, the um, police witnesses. Right. And I think some of the significance in, before we get to the medical stuff, the witnesses, the not the witnesses, excuse me, the, the testimony from police in actually calling this excessive force and calling it out and saying... That, no, this is not how you handle this situation. No, this is not what you should be doing. This is not. I think that's very significant because it is not something that we are used to seeing, right? The blue wall is a thing and it's like you don't talk about other, your fellow officers that way, blah, 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 right? And so I think hearing from Derek Chauvin's superiors and I believe the chief of police um, that no this is not actually how you're supposed to handle this situation at all like it should not have even gotten to that it didn't need to get to that is is significant Um, I will say though The prosecution, while watching it, we can all think that, oh, well, how the heck can you, can you not convict this guy? The, the defense doesn't actually have to prove a case. All that they need to do is sow doubt in one juror. And I keep going back to that because, right, we all want a conviction, and we all know what history has told us mm-hmm. when it comes to cases like this. Yes. Even if this one is potentially like the strongest one a prosecution has ever had. Of course. Yeah. Right? If one of those jurors is at least a little bit unsure that that is all that they need. So, you know... I want to be optimistic in the case that I've seen so far, 
the defense still has to present their side of it and you know they're going to be using george floyd's drug use as um they're trying to use that as like a cause of death which has been refuted by the medical experts that have testified um and saying that no like he didn't have air he couldn't breathe his neck was compressed um it's asphyxia if he was overdosing like it wouldn't happen this way that's not how he would be breathing etc cetera, etc cetera. so I, I just yeah and we also try to uh inject the crowd that was <laughs> right. gathering around the cops right the uh, mob they call it a their, mob their, or something like their that their anger yeah. what have you for mm-hmm. being uh, yeah, like the ten people standing there. Yeah, for yeah. Um, his, uh, you know, mm-hmm. suffocation of George Floyd, his knee mm-hmm. on his neck, somehow. Right. Um. But in that, they're admitting that he is the cause of his death. Mm-hmm. Regardless, like you're saying, well, if I was, to, if I'm playing devil's advocate mm-hmm. and I go with that and I say, oh, okay. So if it wasn't for the crowd and the anger around you and they're distracting you, you weren't able to do your job. Oh no! Now George Floyd is dead. Look what I've done. You so would try to help. You're essentially <laughs> saying that right? he is responsible for his death. But then, if that was the case and you felt bad, wouldn't you try to resuscitate him right. or try some sort you would of snap measure out of it? Like, oh my god! Of what telling happened? the off-duty firefighter, no, 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 we got this. Don't help us. Yeah. We'll deal with it, and yeah. not actually starting CPR on somebody that whose pulse you couldn't even find. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. But if you're also going to go down that road and say that it was the crowd and he was you know mentally he was like freaking out because the crowd was whatever should be a cop well yes obviously right but also then wouldn't that mean that he would have to testify if that's going to be your argument if if Mm. if you're going to look at this and say well we're going to talk about fentanyl we're going to talk about you know whatever other drugs and maybe that's not going in the direction we want because it's been refuted by more than one person via the prosecution as as much as they tried to make the inroads there and they have to like switch it up that would mean that Chauvin would have to testify which you probably don't want because i if you're if you're the defense yeah right so that. you got to tread that line really carefully they're not gonna do that. They, I mean, uh, no, they're I crazy, know. but they ain't stupid. Well, right, but but also, you know, the the drug use part of this is the thing we see time and time again, where you're trying to essentially blame the victim for the outcome, mm-hmm. right? This happens in sex assault, rape cases all the time, right? There's there's all sorts of victim blaming that goes on. Um, with those sorts of cases and in these cases as well right it's well you know right brianna taylor well kenneth walker her boyfriend he fired at us first my bad like we killed her type of argument yeah and then they also especially when it comes to black victims they try to sully their reputation yes. saying they were using drugs yes. or look at their criminal past or they were around the wrong people they right. did the same thing with Trayvon Martin oh let's look at his past um, they try to come up with all these like uh, photographs of him looking like menacing and yes. threatening and all this yes. type of stuff hoodie, he was smoking the, weed yeah. like mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I don't know what that has to do with anything mm-hmm. I've smoked weed must make me a really bad guy um that must mean Bill Clinton's a really bad guy, but you said he didn't help. But anyway, <laughs> I mean it's it right. you know. But this is the this is right. the playbook. This is right. what they do. They right. they just try to say that somehow there's a connection between your past, which doesn't have any effect on who you are as a human and your present. Um, everybody has flaws. Everybody has ups. Everybody has downs that does not that's not a map or a a, 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 a a through line for my death it's not saying that 
if I did something bad here or not favorable in your eyes or what have you that all of a sudden that I'm creating now a moment where I need to die at the hands of authority. I just don't well, see that connection. So, but I mean, that's what they do. So, and I'm going to say this, that this is further proof of the fact that the, the system, the system is inherently racist <gasps> and I know, right? So take Clutch my, my pros. take my take my whiteness you're card offend, away. You're offended. Um, I feel offended. <laughs> you're playing the race card. Um, but just just and and just how the burden ends up being on the actual victim of the crime versus the authority, right? Mm-hmm. Because it has come to light that this is not the first person that Derek Chauvin has used excessive force on and not the first one he's put his knee on someone's neck. He's done it before, but it is not admissible. But we get to hear about George Floyd's drug use. So I just, I want to lay that out there. For yeah. people who still may be like, oh, well, I mean, he did take drugs. Yeah, sure. He took drugs. Like, plenty of people have taken drugs. Yeah. I, 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 Fine. I, I mean, I don't care. I mean, isn't it a health issue that we are dealing with? Like, people always now, I mean, back in the day, you know, when it came to crack, it was just like, you got to come down hard on them and criminals and all these crazy monsters coming in to get your kids and you need to throw them in jail and throw away the key and all that and but now with all the opioid use and stuff like that we got to be more caring and and we we need to really look out for our citizens and we have to treat it as a health issue and not a criminal issue so, so i mean if i go by that well what wasn't he going through a health issue they said also that I've been hearing a lot also commentary saying that as police, you should be helping someone that you see is in distress. So here's, here's, That's not what here's something that I would just want to read. Um, that going as far back as 2015, the Minnesota Attorney General's office sought to introduce six arrests in Chauvin's record arguing that they showed how Chauvin used was using excessive force when he restrained people by their necks or by kneeling on top of them police records show that Chauvin was never formally reprimanded shock for any of these incidents even though at least two of those arrested said they had filed formal complaints of these six people arrested Two were black, one was Latino, and one was Native American. The race of two others was not included in the arrest reports that reporters examined. So I just want to point that out, but we're not going to hear about it in the actual trial. Sure. And, two, just... Uh, mm, it just... I just... Like, it just makes me so mad. Um... But, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it, yeah. Because, because that's the other thing, is that when there are complaints filed against officers for excessive force, more often than not, there's no sort of formal reprimand or, or not anything that actually would prevent a cop from doing the same thing again and again and again and again. So, and that, you know, this isn't just a Minneapolis problem. This is a larger problem within the system itself. We see it with the NYPD. We see it with other police forces. So this isn't, this isn't a one-off. There's this been is, reports. There's, a pattern. there's been studies. There's been in-depth uh, examinations and scrutinizations of police departments like um, you know, so it's not some fairy tale made up thing like 
you know, there's been undercover work. There's there's been a lot that's been going on, and a lot of work put into this. Um, people dedicated their whole time and mm-hmm. life into these uh, type of studies, um, and you know, race is a big part yes. of it. Um, and so, you know, and the, it, people just got to come to terms well, at that point. And, they're just not willing to do that. And police reports that can't necessarily be trusted of what's written in a police report we've seen it where we've seen events on video and then you see what the police report says and you're just like wait a minute this does not actually match anything um you know the body cam is conveniently not on at a pivotal point in an arrest or a stop or whatever like there's a lot of things and this is why i i continue to say that band-aids don't fix problems like this right body cams while maybe a good idea in theory doesn't actually change the behavior because we we've seen it now it has not changed behavior instead the camera's not on or it takes years before we see footage of a questionable stop or incident or whatever so like it needs to be completely blown up and fixed I said it before, I will say it again, it needs to be blown up to be com- to be fixed. I mean, yeah, you can tell that it's, um, band-aids ain't gonna do nothing because, no. you know, even when these cops are on camera, they still feel like they Emboldened. can do what well, Because the system because is on know, their side. They know that whatever they do yes. is not gonna have any consequences, no repercussions. So they're like, yeah, whatever. Give me your camera. I don't care. Because like, because history has told us this. I have qualified immunity. Yes. And Which we don't have anymore in New York. Yeah, holla. Um, so, you know, mm-hmm. like, if, if they have the knowledge, if they know it, that's telling you a lot. Like, they know in the yes. back of their head, like, I'm not going to really have to worry about getting my pension, taking all my money yep. or anything like that because, they're gonna put me because right leave. you're right it's administratively pending an investigation right. or oh they're just leaving the force but that still means they get a pension right it's it's there is no consequence valid consequence for these actions the only valid consequence here for Derek Chauvin is to be put into prison for a very long time that is it yeah basically um you know and and like you said like all the scientists uh the examiners yes um said to some extent like basically like you know yes he had drugs in his system but um Lindsay Thomas, I believe, the forensic scientist, mm-hmm. she said there's no evidence to suggest that George Floyd would have died that night except for the interactions with law enforcement. And the medical examiner, uh, Andrew Baker, uh, testified uh, that he thinks the stress of Floyd's arrest overwhelmed his already overburdened mm-hmm. heart and it tipped him over the edge. Um, however, he did signal that uh, asphyxia was a factor in Mr. Floyd's death. Also, uh, he said that even though toxicology tests of Floyd's blood discovered amounts of fentanyl mm-hmm. and methamphetamine, he concluded they were not a direct cause of his death. Yeah. So that refuted uh, yeah. Chauvin's defense argument that George Floyd perished from a combination of intoxication, heart disease, and high blood pressure. Um, so essentially it's like, Yes, it's the whole. Is they're trying to do the well? He would have died anyway. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, it's like you have something in your system, but what expedited that death was the knee on his neck. Like we can't tell the future. Can't look into a crystal ball and said that this would have happened if not for the knee. Like we saw on camera, the knee is the thing that directly had an effect on stopping his pulse and ultimately his untimely death. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, and, and, and also, you know, getting back to, to Minneapolis um, and race, mm-hmm. uh, we, we said that, you know, uh, there was a statistic that was 13% of the population in Minneapolis 
mm-hmm. um, is made up of black, black. people, mm-hmm. but uh, they unfortunately make up 63% of the yeah. arrests. Um, so yep. that's not coincidence. No. 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 So we can deny, deny all we want. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, unless we confront this and have a reckoning yeah. with how race basically is part of almost every aspect of how we run our country and the functions of our country, it would never go away. And who profits from that? Right. It yes. would never go away. You know, we can't have this thing where we feel more offended by being called a racist than actually <laughs> hating racism itself. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. that's the problem. It's just clutch my pearls. Oh, my God. You're a racist for calling me a racist. Mm-hmm. I can't believe you said that. Mm-hmm. Lord have mercy. Like, mm-hmm. that whole thing, it's it's tired and it's old. It's not going to help us. Like, we got to look back at our history books, but we also got to look forward and we got to look at the present to see where we were and to see where we're going and how we could be much better. Because America, in the name itself, it says it. America is an anagram of I am race. <laughs> mm. I mean, look at that. Mm. Like, that tells the whole story right there. It says, I am race. Rearrange the letters and you will see I'm not lying. So, <sighs> I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Read up. And we're or, definitely going to be coming back to this because, obviously, right, the trial is got another few weeks um, and obviously the verdict is going to hopefully be something that we can all agree with and be happy with it'll and, hopefully be a catalyst for change and Something that good. is the hope, hope that is the hope so, so that, that depends on the outcome of this yes what comes of this so we'll we shall see. We will circle back on this for sure. And before we go, um, we also, we, we lost someone big this week in DMX. Yeah, rest in peace. So we want to acknowledge rest that. Peace, dog. It was, that one hit hard. I was really upset by that one. Um, part of, part of my growing up, part of my generation. Yep. Part of a lot of people's generation. Yep big influence um great guy uh his his vulnerability his um not afraid to put himself out there and all the stories that i had seen that have come out since his passing have been unbelievable just that he was genuinely a very humble person who just wanted people to be happy and enjoy his music and you know that that was it for him um and we should all be like that <laughs> he was a dog but ultimately inside he was yeah. a teddy bear too he was a yeah. teddy bear he was a he was a stupendous uh, remarkable individual yeah. not just rapper but just individual um, yeah. he just had his flaws he had his weaknesses yes. he had his demons that yes. he just couldn't fight off and you know hopefully you know I mean, the silver lining from all of this, if anything, we take away is that he's now resting in peace. He doesn't have to deal with all of that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we just wish for the best for his friends, his, his, his family, family, his kids, his kids yeah. everybody. You know, so. Yep. So, right. yeah. Rest in power. Party up in heaven. Mm, party up. Love that one. Um, yeah, so that's it for us. I am Nicole. I'm Earl. We're the Poisers, and this was the mix-up. Thanks for joining, people. Until next time. Peace.